Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Down the Wings podcast. I'm your host, William, Mr. Down the Wings himself. And as always, I'm joined by the Dwight York to my Andy Cole. I'm joined by Gabriel, Gabriel Anderson. How are you doing, Gabriel? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, man. Uh, it's been a tough week. Last week, we had our heads high. Yeah, we did. This Today, I can't really say that, but... We move forward nonetheless. We do move forward. So obviously we're talking after Manchester United's um, quite dramatic loss in the Champions League to Galatasaray. But I really wanted to do something a little bit different this week and really step back and really analyse one of what I think is the biggest issues in the team. Right. Mm. I think plays. I really want to talk about Marcus Rashford. And um, what I was thinking is that there's no one better to, to get on, to speak on Marcus Rashford than his first ever coach ooh, in football um, so we've managed to get hold of David Horrocks who was obviously Marcus Rashford's coach at Fletcher Moss his team before he obviously signed for Manchester United um, so David thank, it's an honour to have you on thank you for, for joining us how are you doing? The honour's mine, mate. You know, I mean, anybody that can put up with me for five minutes has got me pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are delighted to have you on. We are delighted to have you on. And um, so, obviously, Fle- very much involved um, with Fletcher Moss. Um, just for those who don't know who Fletcher Moss are, let's just get that out of the way. Who who are Fletcher Moss? Fletcher Moss is um, a local grassroots junior football team. Who've been running since 1984. Um, we run at this moment with about 30 teams. Not the biggest club in Manchester, but um, probably um, one of the clubs that most teams want to go out and beat you know, because uh, of a reputation of be- playing good football, uh, being successful, and bringing through successful players or players to become successful, let's say. Amazing, and um, you you are um, you are a trustee um, of the club. Um, yeah, I'm one of the trustees. Yeah, we one. have a board of trustees because we're a charity now. Yeah, and um, we have a board of trustees. Yes. Yeah. So, talk to me about um, the, a little bit about the process of moving from obviously a coach at the club to now being a trustee. What what was the process behind that? Well, it, it, it went before that. I was a parent. I was a parent coach first of all. Um, when I took all, well, I took a group of lads from. Parswood School, um, who wanted to run a team. My son was one of the players who wanted me, to, me and his mum to run a team, which we did. Um, we went to Fletcher Moss, asked them if we could uh, bring a group of players. And we were the third of a group of under-15s when we started. And the team only lasted a season. That uh, It's just that we, we had a, all our players pinched by the other two teams. So we only went around for a season, and the following season we started up the um, the soccer school, and myself and Mr. Fletcher Moss, who's Ron Jameson, who's been there since uh, longer than I've been there, is the is uh, the backbone of the club, is the bloke who what what he doesn't know about grassroots football isn't worth knowing. You know, he knows everything and is is the you know is the font of all grassroots knowledge. He's a brilliant guy. And he's done so, so much for the club and for a lot of players and a lot of kids and a lot of parents down the years. He's done really, really, done loads and loads for the club. He's, um, he's a good bloke. The, we wanted to push this club further and further forward because grassroots facilities are really poor 
no matter whereabouts in the country you go, unless they've had lots and lots of um, funding pumped into them by the Football Foundation. There's, uh, there's lots and lots of grassroots clubs that are in really poor condition. So what we've tried to do is uh, take another step and become um, a charity where we can um, help other people and we can be, you know, we can do a lot of good in the community. And we try and make sure that we do as much as we possibly can for as many kids and parents as we can. Amazing, amazing stuff. And we'll get we'll get into um, everything Fletcher, Fletcher Moss Rangers a little bit later on, but mm. obviously um, we do want to speak about Manchester United a little bit um, first and foremost. Obviously you're a Manchester United fan season ticket holder yeah. Um, yeah. I guess where I'd like to start is um, it must have been involved with Fletcher Moss um, and seeing the number of um, children that Manchester United that you'd been able to provide Manchester United mm. to become um, professional footballers um, it must have filled it must have filled you with with real pride that obviously you're a Manchester United fan season ticket holder and you've some somewhat created a pathway for a lot of these a lot of these kids yeah, so proud, and it's um, it's quite humbling to be honest. The, the the fact that there's been so many kids from so so many diverse backgrounds that have come through the club and gone on to to sign for Manchester United, Manchester City, Preston North End, Arsenal. You know, there's there's, there's loads and loads of players. I mean, I've, I've just been counting up tonight, and there's more than 50 kids that have actually gone uh, through Manchester United's books at one stage or another. You know, we're, we're looking at the likes of Lingard and Morrison and Tyler Blackett, Danny Welbeck, Wes Brown, Zeki Fryers, and um, uh, a very famous international goalkeeper, Kieran Westwood. You know, so, I mean, that, that's just a few. But, you know, it, it is humbling, really, that the fact that parents um, trust us to bring their children to us and know that we can be there for them through the good times and the bad times. The kids that go into clubs and are not the fit for the club that they're going to. And in some, some cases, and we've seen it at other, other places where kids are released in an unceremonial way and they go through some very, very dark places. And sadly, you know, we've had uh, one or two um, kids with, across the country that have actually taken their own lives because of such a the, the hard um, the hard line story is that you're not good enough for the club mm. all right. and I think the Premier League are doing a little bit more about it to try and safeguard those sorts of um, episodes but that is a sad side of things um, the, the, you know the, you get the you get the the tragic cases but you also get the cases where, um, like one of one of my very very good friends who was at Manchester United and got a, a really bad injury, and he ended up coming out of the game, and now the guy is a is a is a, um, a self-employed plumber. Um, he comes from a fantastic background, great great family, mm. but it was heartbreaking that the injury put him out of the game, and he had a squad shirt at Manchester United. So, you know, these are successes that we hear about, like the Marcus and the Jesse and, and Tyler Blackett and all them. But there's also the ones that we don't hear about. We always say to them, 
please come back to us. If it doesn't work out, please come back to us. There'll always be a place for you. Even if it's even if you don't want to play football, we'll help you out and we'll see can we mentor you to becoming coaches to doing what we do. And really, that's uh, you know for us that'd be a fantastic goal if we had a lot of the ex players who have been through that process into professional game who would come back and back into grassroots. But lots of them want to build up their own little foundations and do their own organisations. Like Wes, Wes Brown's got his own um, organisation going now, mm. which is pretty successful, with his brother Reese, who's uh, both of them being ex-Fletcher Moss boys. But, you know, it's um, it's a case where that what we try to do, and I'm not saying we're unique in any set, in any way whatsoever. There's lots of clubs that probably do the same sort of thing and don't shout about it. Right. It's a lot of stuff that the professional organisations, like the FA, like the NSPCC, don't realise that grassroots organisations are there for people. 100%. And I don't think it's the last we're going to speak about um, grassroots and the current state of it. We are going to unfortunately now have to move on to speak about the season in general. Of course, um, we've had a very tough week um, losing against Crystal Palace after beating them in the Carabao Cup. And of course, the Emaias, anyway, the disaster. What was the Champions League game? Um, David, what have you made of Manchester United's season so far? Oh, without a doubt, um, very disappointing uh, by our own standards. You know, I mean, the, 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 we've been worse. Obviously, we've been better, and um, all, all I could say is we all we can do is go up from you know from now on. I don't think it's any one person. I think it's um, we are the sum of all the parts. Mm. I think that we've got a situation where I don't think anybody on the pitch can cover themselves in glory by any stretch. Every there's, there's nobody that, that can stick their hand up and say that um, they have been you know the best on the pitch. There's been mistakes uh, on the Crystal Palace game, the Galatasaray game. In fact, even when we've, we've won games, I don't think there's been any. Been, the performances have been that good. I really don't. What do you What do you think the feeling is um, as a season ticket holder? Obviously, um, a lot's been a lot's been said um, this week about Eric Ten Hag's future. That um, he is being backed. He's he's very much backed by. Um, board members at Manchester United mm. but then you're also getting stories about a toxic dressing room um, what have you what, what do you think what's the feeling um, amongst the faithful when, you, when you're in the ground in terms of about Ten Hag and um, his immediate future at the club I don't think that there's I mean when I sit um, there's, there's never any comments about Ten Hag it's always about the players and it's it, it upsets me to be honest because you know they, they've we've got seem to have very sharp memories uh, in so much as how successful the club has been, and I think it's because of how successful we've been that people are so disappointed about the position that we're in at the moment, and it certainly doesn't help when we've got the noisy neighbours that are you know as successful as they are. It, it, you know that hurts. You know that, but they are where we were for a long, long time. Mm. So we've just got to, you know, we've just got to bite the bullet and put up with it and come through it. We've come through it before. I mean, Liverpool dominated, uh, you know, the, the top level of football for mm. many years. And, um, you know, we were in their shadow. And we, you know, we'll do it. We've done it before. I mean, Arsenal, 
went through a period that where they were, you know, they, they, were, they were top dogs. Come through it again. We've just got to, you know, we've just got to come through it and be stronger at coming out the other end. And I don't know. I've never, I've not heard anything about a toxic dressing room. Um, although I'm not, I'm not that close to, uh, you know, to anybody that's at the club. Um, it, it just seems to be that they're all suffering from a, um, a crisis of confidence at the moment. You can see by the body language. You can, you know, you, you pick up the different traits of different players, like uh, Bruno. All he wants to do is moan at the referee instead of getting on with his game. Mm. I don't believe. I, I don't believe that we have any leaders on the pitch. And going through the generations of the teams that we've had. We've always had leaders all over the pitch. Look at your Brian Robsons, your Paul Inses, your Stevie Bruce, Peter Schmeichel, Brian Robson. You know, you, all those those guys. They would be shouting and bawling at players, and players would listen. Mm. Now, at the moment, I don't know whether or not it's a language uh, issue, whether or not it's you know, they get the, the, they're afraid of um, offending anybody. But you know, if if Roy Keane would have been that, in that changing room, it'd have been nothing like it. You know, everybody had been going out there, you know, before anybody else, and they would, they would be, you know, kicking lumps out of each other, let alone, you know, the opposition. I think it's just that the the, the very, very long confidence. You can see the body language of players, and I mean, I was I was watching Marcus's body language the other night, and it's just I don't I don't know what's wrong with him because. Last season, it was completely different. Literally. That's why we know, as Manchester United fans, we know that he's got it in him. And I think true Manchester United fans and true fans of Marcus know that it will come good again. You know, all we want to do is find out what's wrong with him. And it, what surprises me is, is the likes of Steve McLaren, who happens to be a sports psychologist, who worked with the best sports psychologist, Bill Bezic, when he was at Derby, has not been able to find out if there's anything wrong with him up here. You will have known uh, Marcus Rashford at a very sort of crucial time in his career. A lot of a lot of people will probably underestimate how crucial those very very early development stages are, and you obviously knew him quite well. Um, what I did want to ask is, what was what was a young Marcus Rashford like? What was what was he like to coach, um, and how was he around um, the other lads that that you obviously coached as well? In truth, at the club, he needed very little coaching because he, all he would want to do is get the ball, dribble it, beat people, and score a goal. Um, he was a great kid. Didn't need very much coaching. Okay, we did passing sessions. We did dribbling sessions. We did um, running with the ball sessions, and he would do it. All he wanted really was when we were playing a game, when we were playing a match, could we play any football. And that, you know, if you got kids that are saying to you that, it's great. Just let them play football, then. You know, but he was one of those kids that all he wanted to do was play football. He'd arrive with us, dribbling an old football along the road, and then when we'd finished, he'd dribble the ball back again. You know, he just wanted a football at his feet and that's the sort of kid he was. And, you know, it, 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 it's a dream for anybody, you know, to, to want that sort of thing. Unfortunately, we didn't keep him long enough. You know, we couldn't, we, you know, we lost him as an under nine. 
when he signed for when he signed for United as an as an under nine for that season. You know, we'd lost. You know, we knew we were going to lose him, and we had to make plans for that. And we lost a lot of players at the same time. Those those are stories that you like to hear. You know, in terms of. Coming to training with a ball, leaving training, dribbling the ball still. Those are, I think that's what we need at the moment, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of things that are, I think, are surrounding him. Um, I'll bring you on this as well, Will, because for me, at least this season, last year, there's nothing bad really that you can say about him. He was our best player for me, not by quite a ways away, but you can see by the numbers. Yeah, he was, he we was needed him player, necessarily. Yeah. And we still need him this year. And necessarily, I don't think there's. I don't think there's really much problems with his game even now, to mm. be honest. But like I, said, I kind of said in the last episode, everything for him seems like it's all up here kind of <laughs> thing. So when things necessarily aren't maybe going the team's way or he's not having the best game, then you see um, the body language starts to fade away. You see um, he's not working as hard enough, which you've obviously slayed him upon. Um, David, do you think there's anything that maybe you saw... As uh, as he was a young player coming up, that maybe he's still working on or developing now that he's a senior. Well, one of the things that I always remember about Marcus, and if you want the the kids that came through the academy at the same time as Rennie Mullenstein and Paul McGuinness was there. I mean, Paul McGuinness was the one, in my opinion, that put the um, the, the the magic dust in Marcus's head in so much as that this is what the best way to do things. Um, Rene Reven- uh, Mullenstein gave him the um, getting the curve of skills, you know, speed your feet up, dominate 1v1 situations. Paul McGuinness was the one that gave him the phases of play, gave him the, um, the, the systems to play, gave him the right sort of um, setups to be able to play. And this, is, this has been a trait of the, the academy players as they're coming through. Now, what the thing that that that, that don't stress me, it, it worries me is is that how the team the, the team as a whole, which obviously includes Marcus, don't seem to have a a plan A. Never mind a plan B. They seem to be going out there with a set of instructions to tell them that you must do it in this fashion. This is what you must do. They're not being able to be innovative. They're not being able to use an initiative. They're following uh, a game plan instead of being able to, you know, use their own initiative to do something. Remember the the, the, the derby in 2016 when Marcus scored on on that that derby where he put Otamendi on the floor and he nutmegged the keeper to score his goal. That was running at defenders. What does he do at the moment? He doesn't run at defenders. No. Mm. He'll check back and he'll play the ball back. Yeah. It, it, doesn't, it looks as though he's not allowed to do it. And you guys know that throughout the game, it is that defenders hate you running at them, hate them putting them on the back foot, trying to turn. And he's, I think, he, if I'm not mistaken, he's possibly the fastest player in the club. Yeah, definitely bottom. up there. You know, I, I probably think he is, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah. And I think that if he was allowed to be himself, to, you know, to use his initiative to try different things, I think he, he would do, you know. And I, I, um, I suppose, yes, 
you know, they can't go all all off doing their own thing, being you know, being um, you know, loose cannons. But there's certain players you've got to give, you know, got to get them off, let them off the lead. Mm. You've got to be able to let them do what they do best. And I'm sorry, but Marcus for me is better running at players and attacking them. Okay, if he gets the ball, if he gets tackled, fine. Let's have it right. If he gets into the box and gets tackled badly, it's going to be an advantage to us. But it just seems at the moment as though they are not being allowed to express themselves mm. to get to dominate. What Rennie used to say is, is that all good, all the best players in the world makes no difference what teams you play for. All have people who can dominate one v one situations. Yes. Whether or not it's a one v one defending like uh, Roberto Carlos used to be able to do at Real Madrid and Brazil. He could dominate a 1v1 in defending. Whereas Marcus was superb at dominating 1v1 attacking. And he just seems to have lost that confidence or is being instructed, don't do that. Don't don't confront them. Check back. And but when, it, when he does go into the box, it, it, it becomes dangerous. I don't. I think his decision making at the moment is where he's got that crisis of confidence. Yeah. Because he just doesn't know whether he wants to shoot, whether he wants to pass, whether he wants to take somebody on. It's just this, you know, this level of confidence that I think is is lost for the moment. And I think, like you said before, Gabriel, I think the first first time he scores a goal, I think it'll be the floodgates. I think he will possibly get, um, you know, start scoring more and more. No, literally what you said, I, I remember there was a there was a clip that was doing the rounds on Twitter from the game against, I believe it was the Galatasaray game, where he was one-on-one with the keeper. It might have been at a, a slight angle, per se, yeah. but there was another video from at least maybe a season, maybe two seasons ago, where he just banged it in, didn't even look yeah. around, just he knew what he was going to do. But yeah. in this case, he passed it, muffed the pass, and then it was just a chance wasted, and obviously we ended up yeah, losing the, the game. Defender took it, the defender intercepted it, didn't Yeah, they? exactly. So it's it, it's just a thing, like I said, it, it's just confidence with him at the moment. And I think so, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. And, it, you know, it hurts. You know, it, being, you know, being, I've considered myself to be a friend of his. You know, I'd like to think I, he's, he's my friend as well. Mm. But, Seeing that, hearing the comments that people make of him when I'm sat in the ground and seeing what he's done and knowing that he will come good again, he will. It's, it hurts a little bit. It does. I mean, people have got short memories. Because let's have it right, if you think about it, if he hadn't have scored the goals that he scored last season, we wouldn't have been in the Champions League. So the people need to be a little bit grateful of what he'd done and, you know, last season, what he added to what the club we got. Because, you know, if, if he hadn't scored their goals, we wouldn't have been in the, in the position that we're in at the moment. Yeah, one of one of the main things, and you, you touched on it slightly there, is um, the, the one-on-one situations. And one of the things that I've said is that it looks like, um, with Marcus Rashford at the moment especially, it looks like he's got this real lack of enthusiasm for the for the game rather than it being I don't like a lot of, a lot's been said about oh he's being lazy like there's clips doing the rounds of him not tracking back not tracking defenders and he seems he seems um his reaction to being 
having to do those things, he seems like he, he seems very reluctant, and it seems like a real lack of enthusiasm rather than laziness. Because mm. I, I won't I won't sit here and say Marcus Rashford's lazy. He's gone. He's yeah. This he's, isn't bas- this the, isn't bashing Marcus yeah, Rashford. Day, gone, you know? I just gone, want you to know. exactly hundred percent. He's gone. He's <laughs> gone to the top level, guys. Is he being told not to go run back? Yeah, but what you do mm. you do say that, David. But then um, I think when when we spoke earlier, we we spoke about you know the like we saw Garnacho come on against Galatasaray, yeah. and we saw that enthusiasm yeah, and it's that that youth uh, that youthful exuberance mm. towards the game, and it's like, are, will the are the instructions for Garnacho and Marcus Rashford different, or is it a case of um, just that little bit of enthusiasm where? Garnacho will take on his man, put a cross into the box and try and make things happen. And where it's Marcus Rashford potentially doesn't have that sort of confidence to do that at the moment. Is it enthusiasm for the game, do you think? I, to be honest, I think Garnacho is a little bit of a rebel. I think he, don't, he, he because he doesn't get that start, I think he goes on there to possibly break the rules, as, as uh, Tenag says, we mm. play to the rules. Now, I think the rules are his rules, Tanaka's rules. And I think Garnaccio goes on there and just doesn't take any notice of what Ten Hag has said to him. And he does exactly what you just said, William. He takes players on and to help with it. If I score a goal, let's see him shout at me. Let's see him tell let him see if he dragged me off. But I, I think that that, that he's, he's just got that that confidence to say, to hell with it. I'm gonna play my game. I'm that sort of person. Would you like to see that from Marcus Rashford, though? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But like I say, I, I, I don't think he's being allowed to. I mean, you look at some of the, some of the other players where they'll see where the whereabouts they are and they will sort of, oh, I've come too far. I'm going to get a nosebleed if I pass the halfway line. You know, and it, it, they just seem to, seem to be worried that they're, being, um, that they're going too far. So I think... Uh... It kind of goes into a question I was coming to, to be fair. And it, it comes back, I think all of this comes back to the manager. And do you know what? The conversation is getting, um, let me adjust my seat. I'm getting warm in the conversation now. There's a thing, there's, I saw something again doing the rounds on Twitter that a load of fans were saying that essentially this is the worst period in the last 10 years that we've been in. For me personally, I'll, I'll bring you into some William. I can't disagree with that anymore because from the quality of managers that we've had, going from David Moyes when um, Sir Alex first left up until now. For me, this is the first time that we're doing our best to try and build an identity. It might not be going well and it might be going through the teething problems, but Ten Hag is one of the first, maybe Mourinho and Van Hag Van Hal to a little, a little bit, but those styles of football put me to sleep. This is the first manager that we've had in a long time that is committed to putting bodies forward attacking, doing his best, I guess, to try and get the best out of his players. He's the best player, He's the best manager to get the best out of Marcus Rashford and he got 30 goals out of it. So for whatever you want to say about him, for me, this is the best man for the job. He needs the time to prove that and to say that this is the worst time period that we're having as a club in 10 years, <laughs> borderline blasphemy for me. I want to know your opinion on it first and of course I'll bring David into it as well. Yeah, I'd say, I think 
um, in terms of it being the worst period for Manchester, I think the stats and the results speak for themselves. No, but see, um, you, you can't just look at the numbers not and because, not add context Man United, to it. Man United have, this is Man United's worst start to a season I for get, like around 34 years, I believe. Mm. Yeah, something yes. like that. Yeah, so it's like it is, is, it is. It's not looking great. But what I would say, there's a lot of criticism about Manchester United at the moment about um, style of play. Um, mm. People have said, and I think it is starting to get into the that area of analysis where it's quite lazy, where everyone says it, mm. so it just becomes true. But I think the Galatasaray game, as much as it was. Um, Manchester United losing another game Manchester United not being able conceding very quickly after scoring again mm. I think it was I think we looked you could sort of see a system you could sort of see yeah. where, where we want to go eventually right. you know Rasmus Hoyland looking very good he looks amazing um, at the moment very am- oh, he's, he's, yeah, I love he's brilliant. him I love he's, him he looks compl- he's got everything to be I think mm. a very top striker but it's like yeah I think in terms of where we're going with style of play I think I can see that but now it's just it's the, like we lose the Galatasaray game because Andre Onana um, has, a, has a howler, Casemiro gets sent off and potentially we don't take all of our chances. Mm-hmm. But I think that is more of a personnel issue rather than yeah. a system issue. If wan was on the first goal where Zaha scored, exactly. I don't think he's allowing and, what happened, if, and what happened yeah, to Dalo. Exactly. And what, and what I would say is on, on Ten Hag, I thought maybe the changes that he made, he could have reacted a bit quicker in terms of when Casemiro goes off, mm. maybe bring someone on and say, let's just try and keep this point. Mm. But it's, it's his philosophy, right. um, if you will. But yeah, going back to, going back to David, um, and obviously both of you mentioned the 30 goal season that obviously Marcus Rashford had. Um, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't necessarily agree with this, this point. I don't, but Marcus Rashford, um, the narrative is that Marcus Rashford was playing for a contract, right? Do you, do, do you see, David, do you see that in him that he could have been playing for his contract? Cause now he signed a contract. No. He signed for, for around 300,000 or whatever it is. Um, he signed a contract. Do you think that, Last season, 30 goals, Marcus Rashford was playing for a Manchester United contract. I want to for you, David. No, but go ahead, though. Not a chance. Is for me, I think Marcus would play for nothing for Manchester United. I think it's, you don't forget, he's got, he's got a management company behind him. and They're getting as much as they possibly can for him. I, think, I don't think Marcus has got one little bit of interest in the money side of it. He just wants to be the best he can possibly be, both on and off the pitch. And I think possibly two seasons ago, three seasons ago, it was the his off the pitch activities uh, that were causing problems. Like Jesse, they were causing problems. I think what one of the the issues that there is at the moment. Never mind. Uh, just going slight tangent here because before I forget, is, is that I think we have too many players that are not playing in the correct positions. I mean, you got Am- wow. Am- Amrabat playing at left-back. He's not a left-back. I told you. I told you I didn't you want know. to see him there full-time. But go no, ahead. Sorry, not, David. Go we, ahead. We've got players. I've got Casemiro playing in a position that he wasn't playing for at Real Madrid. You've got players that are that we're not playing our best team. I mean, no matter what anybody says about Harry Maguire, I think is you know, if he, if he had the right people alongside him to give him that confidence... And be able to GM, it could be, you know, it could still be that defender that is first on the team sheet for England. But no, William, I do not agree with you about Marcus. 
Definitely not. What do you think? And I know you say devil's advocate. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> no Marcus, pun intended. What, no pun intended indeed. <laughs> what do you think Marcus Rashford's best position is then? Because obviously he's he's found himself, I think now he's playing like, a, I call him a forward because he plays he plays on the left. He can he plays up front. I don't think that's his best position, but I just want to get your thoughts on it. As someone who knows him quite well, what would you say, Marcus Rashford playing his best football? What is Marcus Rashford's best position? Well, I don't I don't think he's a centre forward. I don't think he's a striker at all. I really don't because it, for me, his he he displays the tr- the same traits as he did when he was a kid. Is even though he's from the streets, he's not a tough kid. He's a nice boy, you know, and he, he doesn't. He, he's not tough and like um, like your Duncan Ferguson's who can mix it and you know mm. put himself about, or uh, Didier Drogba who gives himself, you know, can use his elbows. He won't do that. He goes down far too easy because he doesn't like. Um, never mind the confrontation. He doesn't, he doesn't like the the contact. Mm, he will go down. So for me, I would like to see him in the number ten position playing those balls and trying to do things from outside the outside the box, playing those passes through to the likes of Garnaccio and Palestri and, and Hoyland. I mean, for me, that's that, that will be a more creative position for him because I think we are we're expecting too much of him because we've seen him being put on the left as a right footer. And, and I know that, you know, you've got Anthony on the right as, you know, being a left footer, you know, I remember the um, the Ferguson days where you had Kinchelskis and Sharp or Kinchelskis and Giggs who would swap over throughout the games. Mm. Defenders didn't know where they were coming from. At the moment, you've got our wingers, if you want, playing in railway lines, playing in tram lines. You know, mm. they don't seem to want to come out of it unless they come tracking back. They won't t- swap over unless it's a corner. You know, but I find that I, I, th- I, I, I don't think he's been played in his best position at the moment. Because at this moment, I don't think he's comfortable in that position. Mm. I think if, because managers and players are not idiots anymore, they're not thick, they are still, they are quite intelligent because of the coaching uh, facilities that we have. And I think they picked up on his, and I I don't like to use the word, but they're picking up on his weaknesses. Mm. What they've done is they've picked up on them and they will utilise that particular because he's not being allowed to use all the tricks in his toolbox. But I think, for me, if he had that space in front of him, that he could distribute it. You know, it's possibly a little bit off the wall as a number 10, but I think, uh, you know, for, for it being that position. Yeah, I, I definitely think it is, especially because there has been a lot of question marks about his decision-making, like you said a little mm. bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but maybe number 10 could... But you know what? Because number ten in number ten, that gives you the yeah, kind of freest reign. Just behind the structure, yeah. just behind Hoyland, right? Just to, right next to him. Yeah, and like, just play your game. Just he's do got what the you engine, need to do. Hasn't he? Yeah, he's got the engine to get get out, you know, up and down the pitch, across the pitch. Mm. Yeah, I, I could see that. You know, just yeah. by the striker. Bruno's gonna have to figure it out, but yeah. I trust him to do that. To be fair, tell I want to do it. Was David was um, decision making something that you saw was an issue with Marcus Rashford when he was <laughs> when he was younger? Oh, no, no. <laughs> what, I think he was just better than everyone around him. him. He just put into his feet. Yeah. And he just, say, he, he was just, he, he think nothing has scored in 20 goals in a little tournament, yeah. you know, in a game. You know, it, it was, it, it, it was a little bit embarrassing at the time. I mean, they were playing a year up, 
Mm. There's under eights who are playing under nines football. And, you know, the, the, the little group of players that they were, that were all together, it was just um, it was just embarrassing at times. But he didn't need, he, he didn't think of those things. He was just a free spirit. He was, you know, he, he wasn't bothered about coaching. OK, yeah, I'll try that. Yeah, I'll practice it. Yeah, I'll do that. Dave, can I show you this, what I've done? Yeah, OK, yeah, great, that. Can you now do this? Can I add this to it? Can I add that to it? When he was at the cliff um, training and you had Reddy again, giving him the curve of skills, curve of coaching skills, and giving all the kids and him all the front foot moves, his feet were phenomenal mm. because, you know, he, he's, he's always been a very quick kid, but the pitches were really too short for him because of his pace, because he play, only played on small pitches in the cliff, but it gave him the opportunity within them small places to be able to make decisions as quickly as he can. And they were instinctive. Hmm. His decision is now at the moment, it looks as though he's got either too much time to make a decision or he's had his decision-making taken away from him. You must do this, you must do that. And I'm sorry to keep on going on about not, no, not no, being no. able to you know, make those decisions or not being allowed to make those decisions, but it's just, a bit, just, just an opinion. Hmm. Yeah, and obviously... Um... What do you think Marcus Rashford's sort of ceiling is? Where do you where where do you see him? Obviously, um, I think you was, you spoke to the the eye paper like a year ago. I found that I found that article you spoke, mm. and you said He's during true. during the during the <laughs> during <laughs> the um the world the World Cup. And he was playing his best football during. I think you spoke after the Wales game that he's he's back to his best. Um, what do you where do you think Marcus Rashford's ceiling is? Well, obviously, it, it, it's a team game, mm. um, and I think I think England are probably in the in the best position they could be at the moment to win the World Cup or win win the Euros. I think they've got to, you know they got a very very good squad as far as that's concerned. But again, because of the coaches that are working with them, I think they, they they're getting different sets of instructions they're being given. I mean, international football is totally different to football, as we know. So, you know, you don't have, a, you know, you've got totally different coaches and the opposition that are giving different instructions to the players to stop players from doing whatever it is that they do. But um, I think it, it, it will end up being a, um, a World Cup winner, mm. personally. You know, I'd love to see that for him. And, you know, I'm not saying it would top it off, but I think that's what it'll be. Because I struggle with the um, analogy of players. What makes a player world-class? Do you think Marcus Rashford's world-class? Uh, no. Why not? Why not? Um, because, I don't, I don't, again, this is having the, um, the definition of world-class. I mean, if you think about it, up until last year... Lionel Messi had never won the World Cup, yet he was termed as being world-class before. Now, what makes somebody world-class? Did they have to win the World Cup to be world-class? I think, that, I think that limits it. But in terms of, do you think hmm. he's amongst the elite players in Europe, Marcus Rashford? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think any club in Europe would snap the hand off for him. Any club in Europe. Do you know what I, I say? My quote-unquote definition for world class is like 
top five ish in your position. In your position. Yes. Do you think do you think Marcus Rashford's top five in his position? Wherever across, you think that is across Europe, across Europe, I don't think he's being played in the right position. But so as no. a, as a, as a wide left player playing wide on the left, no. do you think he's one of the best in that position? No, that's tough to say, bro. I feel like uh, you, Gabriel. I I off the top of my head, if Mbappe, I think Mbappe plays on the left wing these days. Yeah, left wing. He plays um, up front. Vinicius, always. Vinicius is there. Um, who's Bayern's left wing? Is it Sane? Sonny plays on the right. It would be Kingsley Coman or or what, Nabry. Yeah, is, wingers are strange. You have to throw they, they play I don't know players. if I could throw him in there. You know, he's he's he can he's sitting at the table with them kind of thing. But unfortunately, because even I'm, before you know what, even before the the season that he had where he banged thirty goals last year, the season literally before that he went through a lot. And whether it was due to off the field, whether it was due to injuries, he he was way too up and down. And obviously last year he really put it together. And unfortunately, what from the start of this season he's gone back to square one for whatever it is whereas the players that I've mentioned at least as of recently are doing this going up mm. where he's just on a wave yeah. right now but I guess with being world class it's consistency and I'll, I'll ask you do you think that he'll he's what well, he's going to be 26 very very soon I think this month right he's yeah. going to be 26 yeah. years old do you think that he'll have it in him to now pick up and become that consistent player for Manchester United that obviously we need him to be. We saw it last season, as you said a little bit earlier, 30 goals is the reason why Manchester United are in the Champions League, right? And it's like, can he continue to deliver that season in, season out? I think he's got to. I think he's got to. I mean, as soon as we can find out what it is that the problem is, and it might not be him. It might be the fact the sum of all the parts. It might be because all the team are very melancholy. You know, they, they just, you know, they, none of them seem to be gelling. You know, you, you've, and you've got a hell of a lot of um, world-class players on that pitch at the, at the time. And if he's, if he can't deliver, or if they can't deliver, why should we expect him to deliver? You know, it, it, it He's got to win the ball. He's got to get the ball. He's got to retain the ball. He's, you know, if he wants to be this complete player, it is that he, if he tracks back and makes a tackle and then somebody plays it forward and he isn't there where he should be, he's going to get criticised. Whatever happens, he can, you know, he's in one of those situations where he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. You know, he's in a no-win situation, the poor lad. And, you know, I mean, when... When you hear the groans from the crowd, and let's have it right, I don't care what anybody says, you hear them. The players hear the hear the groans and they hear the you know the abuse that they get. They're not thick skinned. They hear it and it, it, it gets in there and it starts to mess with them. Mm. And it's wrong. And I, I know it's human nature. We'll criticize and then we'll praise and then we'll criticize again. And you know, we're very fickle as football fans, we are very, very fickle. And you know, it, it's, one week is it somebody will be our favourite, and the following week it'll be, you know, it'll, it'll be a waste of space. Mm. It's, it's just that's what we are as football fans, I'm afraid. But you know, I mean, I, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit biased when I look at players like Marcus and Danny. I mean, I was watching Danny tonight, and I was watching him when he played as against us, when he scored against us, obviously. Yeah. And was I was sat right next was to where Danny was when he when he came off the pitch, and as the game was finishing, I shouted, "Danny!" And he saw me, ran a bit of a hug, and I've got his I've got his niece at our soccer school at the moment, oh, wow. and 
you know, I've spoke to Wayne, his brother, and I'm trying to get Danny to come back to soccer school and show, you know, and, and have a chat with the kids. You know, but it, 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 when, well, a little anecdote, when Marcus scored his two against Arsenal, it was Danny Welbeck that scored the other goal <laughs> in the 3-2 win. And I was, I, I was crying my eyes out. Oh, on that night, on that day, and the, all everybody that was around where we sit, we said, "Shut up, you soft sock!" <laughs> but I was, I was crying. No, someone needs to give you a hug, man. Proud I was. That one of the lads that that, that that was his first team coach, a guy called Mark. He he had, he had me other seats on that day, and we're hugging each other and we're crying, and you know, it was just a phenomenal mm. experience to have two Fletcher Moss players that scored the goals on that day. Well, I'm tearing up myself, man. That, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's man. Amazing. That is amazing. Um, but what I do want, we'll, we'll close up the the Marcus Rashford um, section. But obviously, what I do want to ask, just sort of finally, is of is um, actually, I've got two questions. I tell a lie. But <laughs> first, firstly, right? Do you it, do you somewhat sympathise with Marcus Rashford, right? Because he came through um, 18 years old, and it's he's come through at a very very turbulent time. At Manchester United and you think back to some of the you know the class of 92 when they come through at Manchester United mm. and you've got you're in a successful well-run well-oiled machine at Manchester United and you can sort of slot in Sir Alex Ferguson made di- big decisions to get rid of key players when mm. um, the, the class of 92 became, became established but they still came into a well-oiled machine Sir Alex Ferguson at the top overseeing everything and it was just sort of a seamless transition to playing um, top level football with Marcus Rashford it's been sort of very very all over the place obviously coming through under Louis van Gaal he had Jose Mourinho um, he's obviously he had um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Ranić now he had Ranić but obviously now he has um, um, Eric Ten Hag it's been it's been all over the place, and I think he's I think it's been quite difficult for him. But what do you what do you think? Do you sympathise with him at all? And that has do you think it's sort of impacted his development? I do, I really do. I think that you, I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, William, when you said about the um, the regime that was in place when Sir Alex was there, the the sort of people who were working with the club, working with the coaches at the time, Rene, Ricky Phelan. Um, Paul McGuinness, uh, Tony Whelan, those sort of players were the ones that were giving the players the um, the confidence and everything. At the moment now, you've got a completely different echelon of management that's in place in there now. That, that are well, we don't know what the messages that are coming coming down. And I think the, the business about the the, um, the tenure of the club must be an issue. In there because you know you know we don't know who, who's going to be the owners and we don't know this we don't know don't know that and I'm sure players will be thinking about it you know about what it is that they do but I think that one of the problems is is that we've not given any of the coaches that have been there the the length of time that was needed mm. and I think this is because the board expects success you know. I'm not saying that David Moyes was the right person for the job. I think possibly uh, Van Hal was one of the right people for the job because, and I always remember the thing, his philosophy of doing things. You know, he had the philosophy. The and then, you know, the, 
I never liked Jose. I thought he was a bully. Uh, the way he treated uh, Luke Shaw was appalling. Mm. You know, to you know, um, berating him and humiliating him like he did on the touchline. But for me, you know, you, you you wouldn't talk to anybody at work like that. You get you, you get disciplined if you spoke to people like that at work. Mm. The, you know, there, there is you know we've moved forward with the Decency at Work Act. So why shouldn't it not, uh, you know, not be the same with, uh, with between managing and players? And for Luke Shaw to come through what he did, the way he did, to become probably one of the less, best left backs in the country for me, it has been fantastic. And then, like you say, we've had Ranjek, who's, um, you know, for me, he wasn't a manager, although he managed quite a number of clubs before he came to us. How he was given the job, I don't know. <laughs> Mystery. I think we lost out on getting Pep. I think uh, we were, we we spoke to Pep at one stage, yeah. but um, you know the story is he when Sir Alex met him, he couldn't understand what Sir Alex was saying with his Scottish accent. <laughs> but, but, to be fair, I couldn't either when I was growing up. <laughs> and I think Ollie probably got the best out of Marcus. I mm. think I think he did lots and lots of stuff with him, um, and he gave him loads of confidence and. I think because of the the results for Ollie, I just don't think that um, you know a lot of people upstairs liked him. Mm. And then obviously we've got uh, got Eric, and I think I, I think it, it, given the, the opportunity, given the um, given the time, I think he could do something. What worries me is if he's got a vote of confidence from the board, I'd be watching me back. Um, you know, they always say that if you get a vote of confidence from the from the, yeah. the board of a football club, mm. yeah, we've seen that? it. It's it's been like a, that continuous story that yeah. we've seen yeah. again and again. Every, all every time when those stories come out, mm. that you know the manager's been been on, on the, the yeah, he's on the hot seat. No, he's yeah, not. He's right. really I wouldn't not. be surprised if the board are looking at their options, but I think I, I, no, I think another, you have to do your due diligence. Yeah, that's but. A, but that's another that's another conversation for another day. The second question, right, is. Um, how does how does Marcus Rashford turn it around? Like from what from what you've seen, what you know of Marcus Rashford, how does he turn around his form? What do you want to see from him? What do you want to see happen to him? Is it a decision that Eric Ten Hag has to make? Is it something that Marcus Rashford could do different? What do you think? I think with Marcus, you've got to be very you've got to be a little bit careful of how you manage him because if you sub him, if you bring it, if you put him on the bench to start a game. It could decrease his confidence. He could think as though he's been doing something wrong because all this time he may be thinking that he's doing the right things, but other defenders are getting better. Uh, so you've got to be careful of how you know how we use him. Um, I would be personally, I would be brave and I would try and protect him. I would talk to him, and this is where the likes of Steve McLaren should be coming in with his sports psychology head on and should be talking to him and the welfare officers at the club should be talking to him and saying, this is for the best. You know, let's give Garnacho a run out. Let's see what we can do. And then say to him, go and win us the game. Marcus, get your boots on, go and win us the game. And he probably would do, probably come on and score some goals and, you know, his confidence will spiral and he'll become the player that we saw last season and the player we saw you know, when he was uh, 18, coming on against Michelin. Mm. 
hundred percent perfect. I think that does that does wrap up the Marcus Rashford stuff. Yeah. Um. So brilliant. There. He's so got brilliant the vote of confidence from us. That's yeah, the main I thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. 100%. Yeah, I, I, he's turning it around. I definitely think. Yeah. He. I think it was. It's a matter of time. But it's just that whether we'll look back on this time and where Marcus, because where Marcus Rashford's out of form, Manchester United's out out yeah, of form. Spot, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So it's like you know, it, it's strange. Yeah, it's hundred percent. It's like it's so we we are sort of relying on him, and I think that's where all of the pressure comes from. And I think that's yeah. a, I think it's a wider issue um, yeah. at, at the club because I don't think he should be the only person that is directed on. But it's just the state of affairs that we have now that he is. Yeah. And I feel I I do think it's a matter of time, but I do hope that it's it's quicker. It happens very very soon because we could be in a situation where manager manager gets sacked mm. and we have to knock everything down, start again from scratch. Again from yeah. scratch. But well, you, you asked me, William, whether, whether I whether I thought that Marcus could be captain material. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he need, I don't think he needs that added added responsibility. I don't think he can shout at people. Mm. I don't think he can he can dominate people in that particular manner. I just think because it, it, he's, you know, it's it's not in his nature. Yeah, because mm. we we, we not talk, a leader. Yeah, we talk about we talk about leaders and a lack of leaders at Manchester United, mm. and we've seen um, in the past where at a number of clubs where captains aren't always necessarily your most experienced player. Captains are sometimes the player that you just pin your hopes on, mm. and you know what I feel. I think of off the top of my head, Jack Grealish at Aston Villa, local local boy, mm. comes through the academy. Um, he got the captaincy when he was 23 and he sort of, I don't necessarily think he was one of those captains, you know, talking to every player, leading. I don't even think necessarily leading by example. I just think he was the best player at the time mm. and you give him the captaincy. And like at Manchester United, you take the captaincy off of Harry Maguire, which I think for <laughs> we've, we've had conversations <laughs> about that. I, 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 personally, I personally believe that he should have been sold before you take the captaincy off, but that's a different conversation. No. But... Um, and then you're looking at the you're looking at the team for who else is bec- going to become captain, and it's given to Bruno Fernandes. And I, I actually I was speaking to someone around the time um, when it was obviously rumored that Maguire would be sold or we would have a new captain going into this season. And I sort of asked the question: Could Marcus Rashford be that guy? And I, st- I do think it's an interesting conversation to be had because I don't know whether he'll sink. He would he would have sunk or swam with it. Well, would obviously, what do you think, David? <coughs> Well, I say I, I don't think he, I don't think he's got the shoulders. His, his shoulders aren't broad enough to take that load, to take the responsibility of the rest of the players on the on the pitch. You know, I just I don't think he's got it. Mm. You know, yes, they probably they could possibly give him the captaincy for the day for the game, a particular game, and you know it may be you know it may be um, the last game of the season for him. But I don't think that he has the um, I don't think he has the mentality to be. A leader, yes, he will. He would lead by example, and that's what we want. We want leaders on the pitch, but I don't think that he is that captain. And captains need to be leaders. And you know that even though Bruno has got that armband on, I don't see him as being a, a, a captain, a, a leader. He 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 doesn't give very good examples. Because he, when when players get booked for, um, for for talking back to the referee, he's the worst one. And he says, 
He points to the armband. He says, "I'm allowed to talk to you." No, you're not. You're only allowed to talk to me if I ask you to, as a referee, if I ask you to come and talk to me. No, I'm not talking. And he's a very, very poor example of a leader. Yet you look at some of the um, some of the other um, clubs who have got real leaders because of how they put themselves about. And for me, I I struggle to see anyone who is a leader on the pitch. I mean, you've got players that lead by example. I mean, Scott, Scott McTominay, he will cover a thousand miles on that pitch because of how he looks. Like a chicken with no head when he runs around. But he's a great example of putting 100% in in every game. Okay, his passes may go astray. He may not receive the ball well. He may shoot wide off. One of his tackles may be, may be poor. But he puts 100% in every time. Whereas... In a lot of cases, you see, you see Bruno throw his arms up in the air and smacking the grass. And for me, he's a poor example of how a leader should uh, demonstrate leadership skills on the pitch. Different again in the changing room. No, exactly. I know uh, it's one of them ones where it's like I kind of agree with you in the sense that you want your captain to be like somebody who can just rally men to go and complete a task or complete a job or complete a goal or whatever. And I think we just, at Man United at the moment, you know what, when you say could Rashford be captain one day, I think in terms of having the respect and just knowing that he's our best player and he works hard and he proves it week in, week out in training, we see him, but he's just got that vocal kind of character that you need or that you'd want as a captain kind of thing. If you'd wanted him to be a spot captain in certain games, and I could see it just because he has the respect. I like to think of the, the dressing room kind of thing. Um, but I, I see what you mean about Bruno being the not the yeah. stereotypical kind of captain that you want, but at the same time, there's not much options that we have at the moment. So I don't know what that says about let, the club. Let, but me, ask, is let me ask you this one, right? Imagine you're in the First World War, you're the Battle of the Somme. Mm. Who of those players at Manchester United would you follow over the top? It's a tough one. Like I don't. If I'm being honest, there isn't one. We're done. In there, we, I, don't, I don't think so. We're finished. I, I'd, like, I'd, I'd almost say Lissandro. Yeah. Mar- I'd almost say Lissandro Martinez. Yeah, he shows. He shows a lot. No, you what? know what? Give him maybe a yeah. couple years yeah, if he stays. I, yeah, exactly. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lissandro Martinez. I see, is I see the vision there. Um, Casemiro, yeah. like as much. I think Casemiro benefits when from a leadership group. So you think yeah. about Real Madrid. Like you have Sergio Ramos there, mm. and you have Casemiro. And you have, you know, Modric, you have, you have Cruz, Carver think, Howe, you have yeah, all these and guys. All of yeah. them, as, as a unit, they become, you know, leaders. Mm. He's, he's, Casemiro is Brazil, he's been named Brazil's captain, right? So he's, he has got some, got some air yeah. of mm. captain's qualities. But I think for Manchester United, when he, where he's come in, I don't think he's someone you give the captain. I think at a club level, it's kind of a thing where you need, like I said, you need the respect of the people around you. You need to be there for a long amount of time. That's maybe one of the reasons why Maguire wasn't as successful mm. because he was given the captaincy, what, after literally a year? Yeah, it was, maybe, it was like he was there for, he got into January after he moved. So okay, and I don't think at that point, maybe he built enough respect between his peers. Um, obviously, he was his performances were, to be fair, he was one of our better defenders in that year. Yeah. But even then still relatively up and down but we gave him the chance because first year cool um that's why i think he struggled a little bit but yeah to say for david's example uh, we're done to say to to say the least we're we're not we're not running into battle with no one but no something else for you guys just just a thought um when teams come to old trafford would you say would you would you agree that 
they come as their cup final. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Okay. Yes. Why, as a team, don't we recognize that they are going to be raising their game to play against us and raise our game to be able to match them? We don't. We know that they're going to come and they're going to they're going to put one hundred and ten percent in mm. when we're going to put one hundred percent in. They will set up totally different against us than they will against any other team. Why haven't we got the intelligence to be able to understand that people teams will come to us and play a totally different game because Manchester United is a scalp mm. that they all want on their belts. What I, what I hate about, and we've been this kind of team for a number of years, we, we play to the level of our competition. And I hate it that it's against the smaller teams, especially more than not. Against the bigger teams, more is more time than not, we get battered. And I don't know what the what the reason is there. That's another story for another day, I guess. Capitulate to either. Yeah, but against the smaller teams, which is really annoying, you see Crystal Palace on the on the schedule. You've just beat them 3-0 in the Carabao Cup. Sure, it, were against, it wasn't against their full fe- full strength starting eleven, but you should come into a, with you should come into the game on Saturday now with a load of confidence, and you should go, boys. Let's just go do it again. Let's go better them. And we have our senior players in the team. But for whatever reason, and I do think we were quite unlucky in the game with the chances that we had, we couldn't get the job done. And it's it, it, it's, it's become a pattern over the years that is 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 really nasty to see. You know. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. It's um, yeah, I think. In terms of, I think it just goes back to leaders. I think it goes back to leaders, and I think, you know, I'm I'm not one to because I I do believe that the sort of landscape <laughs> of of captains and leadership has changed um, a lot in football, and I think I don't I don't think you'll get another another Roy Keane. I don't I don't think you'll simply because of how good he was and how good of a leader is. But obviously, the type of leadership I don't necessarily think that exists in the game anymore. Um, but so I I don't necessarily like to go down the, the route of saying oh if we had Roy Keane but for this one occasion if you did have a Roy Keane in there that is someone who you don't drop yeah. your standards do you know what I mean as who at minimum steady the ship exactly at minimum so yeah I do I, I do agree I do agree with that that mm. is it's by is a, again a question of leadership mm. um but I do want to move on now we've spoken about Marcus Rashford we've spoken a little bit about um Manchester United currently but what I do want to speak to you about David now is um Fletcher Moss Rangers let's talk a bit more about about Fletcher Moss right um please do this is an education for me yeah as it is for everyone yeah amazing yeah because like I obviously know I know it because of obviously like knowing of of Marcus Rashford's sort of story and stuff which is why I know about um Fletcher Moss but what I do want to ask you David is what does Fletcher Moss Rangers what do they look like in 2023 what is day-to-day running of the club or being involved in the running of the club like don't ask me any uh, easy questions will you <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we're here for no we're here for the tough and um, this is my this is my sort of um in my mind's eye is that uh, i'm out there on a saturday morning uh, with this group of boys and girls and i see the most diverse group of kids running around the football pitch or running around the pitches with a ball each, making new friends, having smiles on the faces, enjoying themselves and having fun. 
you know, and if they learn a little bit about football along the way, then great. It's for me, and this is going to sound really, really cheesy. This, sorry guys, but those in, those little boys and girls that are at the foundation of the club are all the ingredients to a cake. Mm. When we get them together and it works, and we get the little players together, and we can form a team out of those players at any age group made a cake when that team becomes a little bit successful starts winning games and you know moving up and you know getting you know the the pats on the back and everything that's the icing on the cake when we get the kid who comes through that and goes follow the same pathway that marcus and zeki and ravel and everything that is the cherry on the icing on the cake Told it was cheesy. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, what? So another another question for you is: um, obviously, um, a lot of people might not know um, some of the um, sort of you'd call them alumni people mm. that have been involved with with the club to greater claim to go on to be professional. But I'd say some. So I'm just. I've just got a little bit of a list here. You can, David. You can obviously add anyone that I've sort of missed that's played at a very sort of significant level, professional. Mm. But I feel like anyone who play, goes on to do anything um, that's been under the tutelage is obviously a win mm. for for Fletcher Moss. But these are the ones that have been professional. Can I say one name before you write your list? Yeah, go on. Borthwick Jackson. Borthwick Jackson. Do you know when he came? F- I loved him. Yeah, I, uh, I did. I did as well. The, his it's, left foot was sweet. Yeah, you're great, oh. great, great left back. Great left He's left a lovely kid. Great crossing. Great crossing. But yeah, yeah, so Jesse Lingard, mm-hmm. Borthwick Jackson, Dimitri Mitchell, mm. Rashawn Williams, Danny Welbeck, Devontae Redmond, Wes Brown, Ravel Morrison, Tyler Blackett, oh, and, another one and, of my and, and Danny Webber. As um, well. Did I did I miss anyone significant, David? Just off the top of your head. It's a bit of bit of trivia for you as well. Oh 156. What? 156. Yeah, mate, you, you, missing, you were missing a couple of names, yeah, bro. Yeah, just, <laughs> just one or two, innit? Just one or two. Wow. 52 from Manchester United. Yeah. Um, Tosin. had a Bayou. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was... Um, yeah, he went through Manchester United. He went Man City down. right here. Yeah. Um, we, we had we had a boy that was played for his Oldham now called Ronaldo Brown. He's got a hell of a first name. Hey, his brother was called Rivaldo. Brown. Oh yeah, he's he does stuff with um, Stretford Paddock, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Oh, really? He's got a sister yeah. called Tresegay. Oh, this is <laughs> a football family but right here. Paula, Paula Brown, absolutely mad about football. <laughs> what a lovely, lovely lady she was. She would take the kids absolutely everywhere. He signed for United, went to Liverpool. Mm. Then oh, he was at United's development centres. Then went to signed to Liverpool, got released. I think he's still at Oldham, Ronaldo. Okay. Um, What's uh, his name? We have got to a, a Greek Cypriot, a, a lad who played for Cyprus. Mm. Um, remember Leon and Neil Trotman, who played for Burnley? Um, when was this, David, if you don't mind me asking? Say again? When was, do you know the time period, maybe when they came through to, at Burnley? Um, I have to drop my memory a little bit. Yeah, probably, well, probably about fifth. no, maybe about, be about twenty years ago now. Oh, I'm I'm twenty six. <laughs> Fair, okay. Yeah, you got uh, Reese Brown. Mm-hmm. He's another one. Yeah, it's that uh, you mentioned, Roshan Williams. 
Um, he was good as well. There's a kid that plays for United at the moment called um, Shatira. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. His brother Tunde will be a better player than Shola. Will be a better player than Shola. Honestly, he's a cracking kid. Because I, I like um, Shola, you know. He he came on a little bit last year. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I, he's, I, on, he's on loan. I think season before he came. Was it season playing, before? Yeah, he was playing quite a bit. The little flash is another that, boy. Yeah. There's another boy. There's another twelve, and he's playing in the under thirteens at the moment. Um, Edson De Jong. Mm. Great name. What's well. for him as well? His brother, Ramis, was a player for us. He, he now coaches at United. He's uh, he, he was a good player as well. He's been in lots of different players mm. places. One so, cheeky one. Yeah. So what I, I did wanna what I did wanna ask you is um, how how important um, are grassroots clubs? Um, so we we mentioned some of the names that have obviously come through Fletcher Moss. How do how do clubs? Oh, how do clubs need to be supported so that those names can continue to be rolled out by grassroots clubs like Fletcher Moss? Well, the Premier League needs to step up and give the support to the grassroots clubs. I mean, the, from, from my understanding, the Premier League should give 5% of the total revenue that comes into the Premier League to grassroots. And I do believe that they've not put a penny in since 2001. Wow. So that is one thing. The Football Foundation do a hell of a lot. They put a lot in. The obviously it's not a bottomless pit, so that, that you know where they can go for for money. But there's so many different organisations that's out there that need funding and need support and need support from the football clubs that are taking these players. I mean, like I say, there is all those players that have come through our club that are, that are that have applied their trade at all these pro clubs. There isn't anything set up for grassroots clubs to get compensation or support from them. You know, I mean, I would never, ever go and knock on Marcus's door, Danny's door or Tyler's door and say, Marcus, can you give us something? Never ask for anything like that. If they come to us, I'll take every penny off them that they want to give us, you know, for it. But when you look at the England team to start with is, is that at the moment, I think you can price them up at around about £2 billion for the squad. Yeah. Where did every one of those players come from? Grassroots clubs. And not one penny comes down to those grassroots clubs for any of those players. Now, if you think about it, you turn it round and you think that if those grassroots clubs and you know, never mind just football, but rugby and cricket and all that lot. If it was supported, you would provide better coaching, better facilities, better equipment for the kids, and we will bring far better kids through to that next standard, to that next level. And and I know we've got a lot of foreign players coming in the Premier League, but I think there will be far better opportunities for our better players to play at that level rather than having to get the, um, the foreign players coming in. But I think it, intrinsically, it does start at grassroots. Mm. No, David, what I'll say is, uh, it's not so much of a question, but it's kind of a closing statement that what I really like about uh, Fletcher Moss is it's quite similar to the grassroots that is most local to me. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Lambeth Tigers. Um, they play in Myers Field, uh, if you know where that is as well. What I really like about them is that they're not so much, they're very patient with their players because everybody's uh, sort of developing is different. 
the people that come to the games, the parents, the coaches that they have, they're not so focused on let's get them to the next level, let's make all these connections, let's push them to heights that they're not ready for. They make sure that these kind of grassroots are a fostering ground for players to enjoy their football. And you can see that through the players that have obviously made careers out of themselves and become professional. Um, that's down to people like yourself, people that um, have the same coaching ethos at the club as well, and the people at the Lambeth Tigers who do an amazing job as well. So to the people like yourself uh, for coming on this podcast as well, um, we want to appreciate you and thank you very much. Um, enjoy your tea. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. Thank you so much, David, for, for joining us. Um, you've been amazing. Some great stories, some great opinions and some great thoughts in there. So obviously, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and um, hopefully you speak at some point soon. I hope so. Um, Barney, I'd, like, I'd just like to say thanks to you guys for giving me the forum to be able to talk about grassroots and obviously uh, talk about Marcus. And if by chance Marcus is listening and gets a chance to listen, is it stick with it, Marcus. You've got it. You've still got it and you'll keep it and you'll come good again and you'll, you'll still make us all proud. We love you, Rashi. Amazing, amazing stuff. And thank you, everyone, for listening um, to another episode, a very, very special episode of mm. the Down the Wings podcast. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side, catch you very, very soon. Thank you for listening. Take it easy.